0: Hello and welcome to Be Be Now Here. It's a good start, isn't it? I'm
1: trying to remember what it's called.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness, this is going to be fantastic.
1: Thought comes into your mind, just let it go. And I'm like, this thought isn't going, I'm raging.
0: Um, We're allowed to have different opinions. You're a great body and fair play to yourselves. You're great too. You're doing a great job.
1: <laughs> I've got that pain in my chest. I'm not feeling particularly great right now. I can't go on holidays at this precise moment. My God, I'm like no expert on love. That is for sure. I mean, I've, you know, got badges of failed expressions of love.
0: Yeah, I don't think Oasis were into that. Unless he was their dealer. To be, be now here. It's a good start, isn't it?
1: <laughs> if it was be here now, that's actually Ramdas's book.
0: And Oasis' album. Third Alba. album.
1: Yeah, I wonder what they were thinking.
0: They were big into their Ramdas, as far as I know.
1: Were they? Well, I suppose Beatles would have been all from Ramana Maharashi in India and Rishikesh. The, the whole vibe would have been going on there
0: as well. I don't think Oasis were into that. Unless he was their dealer. Um,
1: I was thinking there was a whole hidden part of them that I'd never seen.
0: I really don't think so. I mean, I could be wrong. Jesus. Like, I shouldn't be saying that. Totally. There could be. Yes. They totally could be into all that. Well, what would you call it? Eastern philosophy? But um, what would mindfulness? I suppose it is, isn't it? Um, Anyway, this is... (laughs) I don't really know who Ramdas is, but... We could, somebody we could talk about again. Anyway, this is called Be Now Here.
1: (laughs) I'm trying to remember what it's Uh, called.
0: (laughs) My name is Keith Walsh. Let me try and explain who I am. So I worked in radio for 20 years and then uh, that all went to shit, kind of. And then I went to therapy for a while and then I realized I needed to do something with my mental health. I think that was before I went to therapy, then I went to therapy. And now I just, you know, I'm interested in lots of things. That's it, really. Aileen, would you like to explain who you are a little bit?
1: 20 years ago, I kind of realized I was miserable. Uh, And then I headed off to India to try and figure out what was causing me to feel so ill at ease with life. So I went to India and I spent three years over there. And I spent a lot of time with different meditation teachers and yoga teachers and qualified to teach both. And I had some really amazing experiences whilst I was over there. So I taught that for the last kind of fifteen years. Then I got cancer about four years ago. And so I it kind of intensified all of my learnings, I think. It brought everything that I had done really into sharp focus because I was like, I need something <laughs> to get through this piece of my life. So I kind of grabbed at everything that I had. In the last four years, I've done a huge amount, not that I've done it, life has made a lot of unraveling happen. So I'm kind of here now just being a human, a bit of a messy human at times, a bit of an okay human at times. That's really my background, so I teach yoga and meditation.
0: um, Your podcast is The Journey Home, and you do have an episode which is dedicated to explaining the cancer diagnosis and lockdown and separation and all that. So people can go and listen to that if they want more details. So the idea, I'm going to try and say what I think this podcast is, and maybe it can be two different things, you know, we're two different people. We're allowed to have different opinions. I think the podcast is about talking about those things, those mindfulness, buzzwords, um, scenarios, phrases, things that's, People aren't quite sure what they mean, maybe having a chat about them, pulling them apart, trying to put them back together again, or just realizing it's a lot of manure but uh I'm interested in definitely learning from you because you've a lot more experience in educating yourself in that area, and I'm just going to bring my own thoughts to the to the to the party the mindfulness party
1: I think that there's loads of words that are bandied around about this whole area. I don't don't think we ever stop to think about them, about what they mean. We have an idea of what we think that they mean, but we don't even know what that idea is. So we might say mindfulness. Like when I teach mindfulness, that's the first question I ask everybody because it was the best question that ever got asked to me is, what do I think that is? What is it that I'm searching for from us? So what do I think mindfulness is? What am I expecting to get from us? Because we might land into a mindfulness course we don't really know what we think about it, but somewhere running in the background, we will have an idea that it's going to make our life really peaceful. I'm going to stop thinking. I'm not going to have those negative thoughts anymore, but we might not actually realize that that's what we're thinking. So I think this is a space to really, I don't know, be real about this stuff as opposed to making it mystical and, you know, out of else, reach, living a regular life. Yeah, like
0: This isn't, is this not isn't work for me. I don't know what they're talking about, but, you know, I know I'm supposed to be feel a bit calmer and actually stressing me out because I hate this, I hate the scenario, I hate the situation. I hate someone telling me to sit still, but, you know, yeah. my friends are doing it. So now I guess I'm into yoga and especially in the workplace, it's a box that they have to tick now. When you're made to a mindfulness day or when you're the people you work for suggest a mindfulness day, a lot of people can be really into it and say, oh, this is cool. You know, this will be a nice day. And a lot of people can be really like, don't make me do a mindfulness day. <laughs> so, so a lot more people are, are <laughs> you know, rubbing up against this it area. It is really or, or tricky. Or coming into contact with this area or, or finding themselves.
1: It's really hard.
0: Yeah, like people are finding themselves in spaces where they wouldn't maybe have chosen to go. But because it's a mindfulness day, they're suddenly like sitting on a mat in a room with all their work colleagues trying to just not fart.
1: I think it's really funny because um, when, say when I've been doing mindfulness like the four years ago and, you know, they're like, if a thought comes into your mind, just let it go. And I'm like, this thought isn't going. I'm raging inside of my mind. actually, my mind is going loop the loop here, and I'm really angry and frustrated right now at this moment. I can't let this go. I'm having a wrestle with the tiger. I think that that's the illusion that people have when they come to mindfulness is that they're meant to have this no mind space, they're meant to have this utopic feeling, and that somehow they're either failing at mindfulness, and it just adds to further frustration about what it is that they're doing, like for me uh, the greatest freedom I had. Was one of the teachers when he was just like, "Oh no, just what you're thinking be as it is. It's no hassle. It's just your thoughts. Just allow them to be there, and that's such a gift." So I think that that is the freedom: is can I just allow my mind to be as it is, and can I be really open to it and curious to it and start to get to know it, and not try to make it something else other than what it is? Because you know that's putting another layer on top of things, is saying that there's something wrong with my mind. Somebody said to me, they had a really busy mind. And this person is a really clever, really industrious, like they've got great ideas. Like they're really, their mind is firing off brilliant ideas all the time. And I just thought to myself, they didn't tell Einstein to stop thinking. You know, they didn't say to him, listen, stop with all that, you know, gravity and stuff or whatever. probably did. (laughs) So we have a real preference either for what thoughts we're happy to have and what thoughts we're not happy to have. So anyway, we throw these topics out there, these big words, but do we actually really know what they mean? And can we just make them mm. human as opposed to making them mystical? Because I think that's where a lot of it has got lost.
0: So my well, my knowledge of mindfulness has changed now. If it is meditation, there's so much less pressure on me. You know, I just go and sit down somewhere for a while and just notice Thoughts. I've just sat more self-aware. I'm just aware of myself, thinking things, saying things, and either rectify it, apologise usually, uh, or just um, be okay with it. And also feelings that come up. I used to feel everything in my chest. I try and like just kind of ignore it. It's just you know I don't like it. Don't like the feeling. And I had this sort of eureka moment. And I don't know whether it's true, but it really helped. I was like, oh no, hang on. I'm just going to like have the feeling and allow it to be there. Be curious about it. Um. My dad, when he was 39, when I was very young, he had a heart attack. I had this thought, what if this feeling in my chest is something, when something bad happens or when I feel nervous or feel anxious, I'm like, it's something going on here at my, my heart and I'm trying to protect it. Maybe that's something that's going on. Or maybe it's a physical reaction to something. I really like that idea. Yeah. Now I know what's going on. Oh, yeah, that's just, you know, and then I'll just be like, look, there's nothing mad going on here. You're safe. You don't need to worry. You don't need to mind my heart right now. But thank you very much. And uh, you're a great body. And fair play to yourselves. You're great, too. You're doing a great job. So so that,
1: but that is an amazing thing. That's an amazing example. Like just to be able to notice that and to feel this and to have been aware that that's been there for so long and you've just been ignoring it and pushing it away. You know, just pretending it's not here, trying to pretend it's not happening, resisting our own feelings, resisting myself. And like, just to be able to actually, first off, just turn around and acknowledge it and know that it's okay. And it's it's not going to overwhelm and you're not going to die from it. I, I think it's incredible. I mean, that's really what I learned in the last four years, more so than anything else. Like when I was in India, it was all very much this much more mystical, esoteric kind of space. But I think in the last four years, it had to become really real. It had to become really real. You know, I had cancer. thought maybe I'm going to die. You know, I have to think about these things. I really had to turn and face to those feelings, like what you're talking about. You know, you knew you had this feeling inside me, but you'd ignored it for so long. I had to turn to look at these things. I had to feel the things that I've been doing a lot of strategies to keep away from. Meditation being one of them. Yoga being one of them. A way of managing and um, feelings of trauma and feelings of pain
0: let's talk about self-love aileen
1: it's been valentine's day yeah yeah there's all this stuff you know it's not a fairy tale it's true you're everything you need to be but what like what does that mean like you know what does it mean when i say i love somebody like again it's another one of these words like mindfulness that we bandy around the place and We don't necessarily ever stop to look at us. But I think what you just described of having this pain in your chest for a long period of time and ignoring it, I think that's not self-love. And I think turning towards us and looking at us, that is self-love, even though it's messy. And I think this is the thing is that maybe we think self-love is meant to look um, tidy not messy not difficult and maybe that's where our delusion comes from is so that because if you think about it when relationships get hard with ourselves when they get relationships get hard with the other that's when we think oh this isn't love anymore but actually maybe that's when it's most love
0: if we talk about self-love and it is something that's used and you you of you started kind of with that, like it's Valentine's Day, obviously Hallmark and, and big card industry were saying buy cards for your loved ones and flowers and all that and tell them you love them. You know, and I always say, hey, every day is Valentine's Day in my house because I'm such a romantic, whatever that <laughs> means also. But, you know, I was telling anyone that would listen or, you know, I was and I was mostly l- ripping off what you said and saying it to other people <laughs> to, to love somebody else. We have to love ourselves because it's only when we figure out what we want and what we need from the world and life only then can we tell someone else what we want and what we need so for me love is about love is only about yourself right and then a Mm -hmm. partnership so somebody else you want to spend time with if you love yourself and you have your what you want that's about collaboration of people where you're kind of like we actually get along really well i'm very attracted to you and you're somebody that i would like to have sex with and have children with and then this is going to sound so unromantic how can we both be each other without having so much expectation of the other person like taking responsibility for our own needs wants and being very direct about that so asking for things saying what we want rather than like well if you don't know I'm not going to tell you you know that's sort of like well, he didn't, he didn't yeah. remember this and he doesn't think about this. And, and and I've just come to the point in my life where I was just saying to Suzanne, look, if you want something, will you just tell me that you want it? Because I guarantee you, I, I might, I might guess, but actually <laughs> over time, I might actually get, be better at guessing because I'll, I'll have learned from you asking me and telling me what you want, you know? And this is so unsexy, unromantic, but it makes me feel really comfortable. <laughs> Yeah. And also I'll be more direct. So I'll have my boundaries. So I'll say, actually, I don't like that. And I don't like that. And I'm okay with that. I don't love that, but I'm okay. The- if you want to do it, that's cool. Not wanting everything your own way, but I don't love that. But like, that's cool. You like it. So, you know, there's movies I don't like, but I'll watch. Like I, d- I would delight in finding a movie that I know Suzanne would like.
1: I actually think your example of the heart is actually brilliant. When I really look at what self-love Meant like it was actually a conversation I was having with my son in the car on the way to school. I'd said to him, "Oh, you know, I love you." And then I said to him, "I said, God, what does that actually mean, dear?" He was kind of like, oh "God, mom <laughs> just get me to school fast, please." <laughs> so, so you know, but it really did. It set me kind of thinking: to love myself. Well, what does that mean? Like, how how do I show up when I love myself? You know, maybe it's, oh, I'm going to make myself a beautiful bath. I'm going to have candles or whatever it is. I'm going to go out and have a coffee or going to have time to myself or whatever. So it's all this external stuff. It's these external accoutrements to make me feel good. But I think, you see, your example of looking at your heart and actually looking at your pain, I think that's the biggest gift of self-love because it's easy for me to do something that's comfortable. It's easy for me to go... And have a coffee. It's easy for me to go and have a bath. But it's much harder for me to turn towards myself and feel the discomfort I have around a fear or worry or a pain. And maybe the reason that it all gets a bit jumbled up is that we think within a partnership when somebody is being messy is we don't see that as love because we don't give ourselves love when we're messy. When I'm messy within myself, when I can't get a hold on my own feelings, when I'm feeling vulnerable, jealous, insecure, frightened, I'm going to resist that. I'm going to push that part of me away as much as I possibly can. And I for sure don't want other people to know about it because for some reason that part of me is not lovable. So if I can't love that part of me, if I can't turn towards myself and mind that part of me and love that part of me, then within relationship relationship. I can never love that in another person when it shows up in them because I can't love it in myself. My God, I'm like no expert on love. That is for sure. I mean, I've you know got badges of failed expressions of love. I think what I'm trying to say is, is that I don't think there's an answer. I don't think I have an answer. I think I know that I can show up in a space that's going to be less contentious when I can actually show up for myself. So when I can own how I'm experiencing myself and the world around me, and when I can name that, when I can name it for myself, and when I can then express it when I need to, to the other, not in a way that's going to, you know, make them feel ashamed or blame or anything like that, but just in a way that I can say, look, this is what I'm experiencing right now. I'm not sure if this is what's happened for you. Is this what's happening for you? Or can you tell me what's happening for you? Maybe we can figure things out. I think all of that is self-love. I think we've got lost in thinking that self-love is booking myself a big holiday or me going and spending time outside doing great things with my friends, which are all brilliant things. But if still my relationship inside with me is still disconnected, then that love can't seep back into me. Those things don't have any resonance within me. They patch over something for a period of time, but then I still am going to wake up at 4 a.m. thinking, I've got that pain in my chest. I'm not feeling particularly great right now. And I can't go on holidays at this precise moment. You know what? We started this conversation going, God, I wonder what self love is. Like, what does that actually look like? And the more that, I mean, I think this is the great thing that I find having these conversations say with yourself or with another person who's in the same space of exploring the ideas start to just flow really self-love is about being available to yourself when it's not pleasant that is the biggest gift of self-love that we could give to ourselves and I think if you can mind yourself in those times it's much easier to express love than outside of you So what is the like? Fact that you could take from this? Maybe do I do this in my day to day? So I think really it's noticing the voice within your head that is saying, don't be so stupid. What are you getting yourself upset for? There's no point to that. You know, it's just actually pause at that moment. Just notice that and just actually say to yourself, well, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. Can I just bring a moment of space into there? Not try to say, oh, I shouldn't be talking to myself like that. That's not self-love because that's just another thing of another judgment. But can I just actually start questioning it and saying, well, maybe that is true, but maybe it's not true. And maybe it's okay to feel upset or maybe it's not okay to feel upset or maybe I am hurt by what that person has said. Or maybe I'm not hurt by what that person said. Or maybe that is what they meant. Or maybe it's not what they meant. Like, I just think by bringing space into very binary thinking allows us to start having possibility arrive for how we relate to ourselves internally. So just simply, you know, one could be just saying to yourself, well, maybe
2: that's true, but maybe it's not true. Be Now Here is brought to you by Aline Slain and Keith Walsh. This whole mindfulness business, what's it all about? Seriously. If you like the pod, please tell your friends and subscribe, I suppose. Who's this Ram Das fellow, though? Ram Das, born Richard Alpert on April 6, 1931, was an American spiritual teacher, psychologist, and author. He became well known for his association with Timothy Leary and their research into psychedelics at Harvard University in the 1960s. Together, they conducted experiments with psychedelic substances like LSD, exploring their potential for expanding consciousness. After traveling to India in the early 1970s, Ram Dass underwent a profound spiritual transformation and became a devotee of Neem Karali Baba, a Hindu guru. He returned to the United States as Ram Dass, meaning servant of God, and embarked on a journey of spiritual teaching and writing. Ram Dass became a prominent figure in the New Age and spiritual communities, advocating for practices such as mindfulness, meditation, and compassionate service. He authored several influential books, including Be Here Now, which remains a classic in spiritual literature. Throughout his life, Ram Dass continued to teach and inspire countless people with his messages of love, acceptance and spiritual awakening. He passed away on December 22, 2019, leaving behind a legacy of wisdom and compassion.